By now, we're all too familiar with a phone call with a friend or a loved one or a quick Google search for a new car or maybe a mortgage company. And then it seems all innocent enough until an ad about that very thing pops up on your social media or you receive an email or maybe even a text. It isn't surprising that social media companies are spying on you and using your personal data for their own financial gain. That's a given. These people would monetize their grandmothers if they could. What is surprising is how quickly we've all become accustomed to this kind of intrusion. It's almost now a given. Yep, the government is spying on us. They're everywhere listening to us. For most of us, we accept this because we think the pros outweigh the cons. You know, what do we care if they spy on us? We have nothing to hide. This only becomes particularly egregious when it is very obvious that there are people with a lot to hide and are getting away with it because they are the very same people who are spying on you. As more comes to light about Hunter Biden's laptop, we are quickly closing in on the fact that Joe Biden will be impeached for multiple illegal transactions dating all the way back to 2015 and perhaps even beyond. All this while Biden lies about his college. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class and won only one degree, not three. Lies about his life. Biden seemed to be claiming Kinnick's vision and life as his own. Lies about Clarence Thomas. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. It is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves. And his son. And it turns out he did not do a single thing wrong. Everyone has that troubled family member, by the way. And if you don't, then you may want to check with your mom and see if you're it. I've done some dumb things. But how many of them live like Hunter Biden, flying around in Air Force One, picking up stacks of cash from foreign dignitaries? Yet the media will cover it with this kind of sycophantic nonsense. Um, they are going to try to indict a father for loving his son. If there is a deep state, it is the government in collaboration with the media to promote a narrative. If there is a matrix, it is the fact that citizens will sit back and listen to these people and be pacified as long as the pleasure keeps coming. As House Republicans move closer to impeaching Biden, we cannot forget, we must never forget what just happened. Hunter Biden was charged with two misdemeanor tax offenses and a felony firearm offense and received a plea deal from the DOJ that included, quote, protection against any future charges, not just future charges associated with this case, but all future charges, period. This is how corrupt our DOJ has become, our government and our media. So let's be really clear here. Because some of you will say, you can't blame Joe Biden for what his son Hunter did. Well, you can when emails reveal that H is holding 10 for the big guy. Who exactly might that be? I'll do dumb things again. The story here is not loving father cares for troubled son. It's not deranged Republicans attack Democrats. The story here is secular humanism destroys everything. The idea that morality and ethics can come from human intuition is exactly what's on display with Joe Biden over and over and over again in his life. He's a crook. He's a liar in many other things. But he's not alone. Secular humanism has invaded every institution in public life, and it infects our political elite ruling class. And if secular humanism isn't the problem, then why not just say, hey, he's, he's getting his, you know, he better get it while the getting's good. Who cares if he's defrauding the American people? I'd do the same thing if I was in his shoes. 
After all, you can't posit why a person shouldn't live like that or shouldn't just live for themselves and do whatever they want if it benefits them, unless there is a transcendent God that calls good, good, and evil, evil. Secular humanism proposes no boundaries, and as a result, evil prospers. And losers win and winners lose, and the moral relativist shrugs his shoulders and says, who am I to judge? If you care about this country, or damn it, just care about the truth, you should do whatever you can to expose secular humanism wherever it pops its ugly head out of the hellhole it came from. And that's what we're going to do on today's show. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, don't forget to check out today's show's sponsor. If you're interested in not only supporting good businesses who care about the things that you care about, but also want to support businesses that have great customer service, something that is harder and harder to find these days, then you need to go to experts like our friends over at Element Home Loans. Not only will they help you get pre-approved with a great rate, but they can also help you find programs that you won't be able to find anywhere else. And they'll do it all gimmick-free. No lies no peddling in the truth just slightly enough to get you in the door but they will give you all the information that you need up front so that you can be an informed buyer and go out and have the freedom to find your next new home or perhaps next great investment if you're going to wait for the government to get fiscally responsible in order to help your money work for you well good luck there's a much better tack and that is investing in the real estate market so you need to check out our friends over at element home loans if you're going to do that and kevin blair and his team are absolutely the best. So if you want to do that, you need to go to kbmtg.com. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Well, I do have something up my sleeve today, and you might catch a glimpse of it from time to time. But um, I was in the hospital all yesterday with my youngest boy who had a bug bite that got infected. And so they're taking good care of him him there. And as I've been sitting in the hospital, I've had a lot of time to think. And I've been thinking about the marvels, the miracles of modern science and how important medical advancements have been for this country. And I couldn't help but think about the idea of, you know, what would have happened to my son's leg if this had happened 100 years ago, you know, and and wonder about that. And then just thank God and then also thank these doctors and people who have been responsible for medical advancements throughout history because of the very good care that my son is receiving now. And so what could have been a very scary situation was turned into something that was actually quite positive. Obviously, we'd rather not be there, but uh, but we feel like he is in good hands and doing very well. Now, all of that is a reminder to me that some of what Western civilization has stood for throughout history is certainly not great, but the vast majority of it just simply is Some of the medical advancements that we have made in Western civilization have been life-changing and life-saving for so many people. I think Western civilization is one of the greatest things to happen in the history of the world. And by and large, a lot of what is responsible for Western civilization is just simply the Judeo-Christian values that are promoted in, in the Bible and the proliferation of those truths by Christians 
missionaries and and the like all over the world, but obviously certainly in the West, where here in America we have built our civilization upon these principles. And whether you like it or not, when you go through a city and you see uh, Catholic hospitals or Baptist hospitals, and you see how much Christians have done to increase medical science over the years, how much love and healing that they have brought the world, you cannot help but want to stop and recognize that one of the great things about Western civilization is the proliferation of Christian ideas, Christian truth, and hopefully that one Christian guy, Jesus. So through it all, I I love this country. I love Western civilization, what it's meant for the world. And if you really ever go through anything difficult, you will inevitably, if you have, you know, common sense, and look back to the benefit of Western civilization and what it has done for humankind. You won't navel gaze and blame 1619 for things. Uh, Obviously, what happened with the slave trade was awful, but Western civilization has been a net good for the world any day of the week, and my son is benefiting from it right right now, and you probably have in ways that you don't even, you know, in ways that you don't even know. For that reason, I think it's important for us to look at the things that threaten Western civilization, and perhaps there is one thing more than anything else, and that comes in the form of secular humanism, which is kind of what we're talking about on the show today. Anytime you develop an idea that you don't need religion, you don't need God, you don't need a transcendent set of moral values to actually be a moral person, you're going to find yourself in a really difficult spot. And that is going to be the spot of actually telling us not if you're a good person or if you do good things, but what justifies your belief in good and evil or where do you derive an understanding of what good and evil actually is without a transcendent lawgiver? Because without God, without religion, we are merely left with your preference and my preference, your truth and my truth, which essentially might as well just be a lie because there is no such thing as my truth. There is only the truth. And the reason for that is, well, there does happen to be transcendent good and evil and a transcendent moral lawgiver who created those things and our apprehension of those things. So again, all of the show today is going to be dedicated just to trying to combat the evil ideology of secular humanism because I think we need to be after it. And I really do believe that what we're seeing between Biden and Trump is a good example of that. Even if you just, from a broad perspective, just look at the fact that both of these political leaders are leading us down the primrose path to potentially a, you know, a primary where Biden and Trump will from their jail cells be doing, you know, their different campaign speeches, or maybe we'll even have a debate each, you know, one from Sam Quentin and, and one from whatever other prison there is out there, who knows, not up to date with all the prisons, but needless to say, um, it's interesting that we find ourselves in this predicament today. And even though Biden himself and Trump himself both claim to be quote unquote Christians, some of that seems more for political pandering and political political purpose making more so than actual genuine authentic faith. Now, I, I don't mean to question that on either side, uh, Trump or Biden, because I know that there's going to be a lot of Trumpers out there who will try to tell me how sincere and authentic the, the faith of Trump is. Now, I really don't mean to do that other than just to tell you this, that it is easier, certainly for Biden, to say that he is a Christian, say that he is a believer, and then go through the ridiculous notion that, uh, you know, you can be a Christian and you can be pro-choice and all of these other things. So so forgive me if I question just the claim of Christianity and then look at the fruit and say, I'm not so sure. But certainly, 
right now we see that in our political ruling class we do, we don't have morals of we don't have pillars of moral virtue necessarily leading us to the kind of things that will certainly help this country in a better way i i would posit not that i'm a desantis hack because more than likely he is not going to get the nomination but i would posit that somebody like desantis is a much better leader as far as that is concerned with trump it sure seems that the democratic party and those that are in you know, bureaucratic positions or those who are in places of some type of political influence or power right now are doing the best they can to throw as much at Trump as they possibly can. And for a long time, I've wondered why that is. Like, are do, are they trying to push Trump toward the nomination? Because every single indictment and every single charge that they're bringing against Trump only seems to kind of build his credibility even more with the American public. So is, or is there some kind of like 4D chess going on? But then I think about the people I'm talking about, and I realize these guys don't know anything about 4D chess. But, but I think... Ultimately, as I've considered what's really happening is is I think they know that Trump is going to be the nominee. There's nothing they can do about it. They do think Trump is beatable because they've beat him before, uh, beat him. Uh, but, uh, and by the way, for those listening, there's those were air, scare quotes right there, beat him. Uh, but, but it looks like they are trying to do the best they can to try to bankrupt Trump moving into campaign season because they know they can't beat him outright and they certainly cannot beat him in a debate. Biden can barely string together coherent sentences. Um, But there is another way that they can beat him. They can bog him down in endless litigation that costs millions upon millions of dollars. And that sure seems to be happening right now. Because according to the New York Times, a Trump PAC has had to request a $60 million refund in legal fees associated with some of the things that Trump is having to fight right now. $60 million in legal fees. And this is just one PAC. Now, all this comes because of nonstop litigation attacks and accusations against Donald Trump. So I want to give you just a brief timeline real quick concerning the things that Trump has been accused of. So maybe this is not as holistic as it could be. I might have missed something here or there, but essentially this is it. Two erroneous impeachments, a January 6th commission, an indictment for campaign finance fraud charges, and even if it were legit, it would likely have outrun the statute of limitations, an indictment for mishandling files, essentially the mishandling of pieces of paper, pending indictments in Georgia about voter interference, and most recently a an indictment for allegedly erasing surveillance video of his mishandling of this paper. And look, a couple of things about some of this. I know people have been misled, like sheep, to believe that January 6th was the greatest threat to our democracy ever known to mankind. And so we have great threats throughout the history of the world. You know, we got bubonic plague. We've got Civil War. We've got World War II. We've got Watergate, then Pizzagate, and then Deflategate. And now Trump asking people to protest peacefully, one of the greatest threats to democracy in the history of the world. Listen, you know, I know you don't like it. I don't like what happened on January 6th either, but it's not a conspiracy to defraud the American people of billions of dollars in the Ukraine just so Joe Biden can hide what his son has most likely been doing for years. And I have to go back to the whole kind of mishandling of papers thing. I know many of you get your panties in a bunch about this, and obviously there is potential for great harm here, but but honestly... There's no harm, no foul, nothing came of his mishandling of documents. Trump is 
you know, perpetually a guy that always thinks whatever he's doing is the best thing that anybody could ever do. And it was the greatest phone call ever. And it was the greatest handling of documents ever. He doesn't obviously believe any of that or else he wouldn't be asking his dudes to erase surveillance video footage. So we can be honest about what Trump did and say it wasn't great. But we can also be honest about it and compare what Trump has done to what Biden is accused of having done. Now, I could give you a Biden timeline, but honestly, I just want to ask you a question, and I think this will suffice because the timeline goes pretty far back. So here's, here's the question. What crackhead picks up a diamond worth $80,000 from a Chinese businessman slash government official? What crackhead sells his watercolors for as much as $500,000 to a person, and then that person gets a seat on a special committee? All for this kind of painting, by the way. Look, I know art is subjective, but honestly, do you know a single artist worth $500,000 not related to Joe Biden? And how about the email that was sent between Biden business associates about the ownership of the CEFC deal that mentions, quote, 10 held for H by the big guy, end quote. So let's just be really clear. What Biden is doing is objectively worse than anything so let's just be really clear here. What Biden has been accused of is objectively worse than anything Trump has been accused of. This is if you think even that everything that Trump was accused of, which of course he, he wasn't, especially for the two erroneous impeachments, even if you were guilty of all of those things, what Joe Biden has been accused of is incredibly damning and incredibly damaging to this country. So food for thought as I kind of round out this story. Think about it this way. What if the billions of dollars we have been given to the Ukraine is nothing more than hush money being paid to a foreign government to keep them quiet about the corruption that they know the current sitting president of the United States has been involved with? What if this war is just simply a proxy war for an infinitely corruptible man who throughout history, as I showed in the opening of this show, who throughout history has not been able to ever tell the truth? If this is true, then we better be quick to make sure that we be honest with ourselves and, most of all, honest with our vote. And if that doesn't stir your ire up enough, this next clip will, as I show you Kamala Harris lying to the American people. Harris forcefully condemned that new curriculum on Thursday. Just yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not stand for it. Please help me, help me, please. If you can stand that woman for longer than two seconds, then you are, you have the patience of Job. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, but I, I do want to tell you something, and you can rewind, but make sure to like and share the video before you do that. But you can skip back and look at this, and you can kind of confirm what I'm saying here. But I have figured out Kamala Harris's tell. I can tell you when she's lying. It's very subtle. It's very kind of nuanced here, so you have to be really careful. But the way that you can tell when Kamala Harris is lying is her lips are moving. Now, there's been a lot of people that have wanted to try to engage thoughtfully Kamala Harris's comments here. And that's really what I want to take the bulk of time here to, to just try to help you with. Um, they've, they've analyzed the claim that 
Ron DeSantis, that the people who put this curriculum together in the state of Florida, that essentially what they're doing is they're praising slavery. You know, their their white supremacy is showing, um, and they're just essentially saying that slavery was, you know, was kind of bad, but it wasn't all bad, right? I mean, come on, let's 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 level here. And so Ron DeSantis, of course, the white supremacist, we all know, right, uh, has put this curriculum together in Florida just to try to soft pedal slavery because, after all, wasn't that bad. Uh, which, of course, we all know isn't is a total lie. Again, Kamala Harris's lips were moving. But she doesn't care if it's not true. This is my problem with conservative pundits taking the time to analyze this claim. And I've even heard con- conservative pundits out there say things like, you know, what about uh, man's search for meaning where we get uh, the story of Viktor Frankl and him in concentration camps and trying to find meaning in the midst of his intense suffering and the worst of conditions and all that kind of stuff. And people can find meaning and suffering and Maybe even Christians have jumped into this this fray and tried to and tried to justify what's actually being said in this curriculum here. But there's one really really big problem with entering into a conversation about this at all, is that Kamala Harris knows she's lying and doesn't care. See, this is textbook Saul Alinsky. For those of you who don't know, he is the man that basically put together the modern day textbook for. Uh, radical leftism, and he is the mentor of Hillary Clinton. It's surprising he's still alive, um, or at least, sorry, he's not still alive, but it's surprising that he wasn't killed uh, while he was alive by Hillary Clinton. Uh, But Saul Alinsky said this in his book for Radicals. He said, he who fears corruption fears life. Now, first of all, I just have to tell you, Saul, even though this was way back in the day when you wrote this, he, he, I mean, you, you can't put people who fear corruption fear life. Jeez, talk about transphobic, Saul Alinsky. We know, all of us know, trans people have been around forever since the dawn of creation when God said, let them, let there be light. And then he said he wanted to create male and female in his image, male and female and every other 100 other genders there are out there. We know that trans people have been around forever. Um, so he who fears corruption. But ultimately, let's get to the substance of the, the claim there. He who fears corruption fears life. In other words, you cannot go through life without corruption. Sounds like the guy kind of in Braveheart, you know, the, the leper, the disgusting, nasty, rotting human being whose outside is only rivaled by his inner corrupt, decaying heart. That guy in Braveheart who says, you know, we all lose heart. Every one of us loses heart. We just have to figure out how in the midst of losing heart to get along in this world. So he who fears corruption fears life. So in other words, if you're going to live, you're going to have to be corrupt and you're going to have to use corruption for your own gain. It's exactly what Kamala Harris is doing here. So conservative pundits who are concerned with how this curriculum is being misrepresented and want to build a case to defend it are forgetting something simple. These people are liars. They not only practice evil, they condone evil. And most importantly, they know it's wrong. This is why it's important for us to have at least a little bit of moralistic fervor in society today. We've been hushed, especially Christians, hushed so much by people who want to say, oh, don't be judgmental, don't be intolerant, and I'll make sure to call you a word with phobic at the end of it if you don't do exactly what I want. This is why we must resist all of that because they are nothing but silencing tactics. And this happens especially to Christians, but this happens to all of us in so many different ways. You know, just the other day I was posting something about, I think it was... um, 
I think it was abortion. And um, I said something was woke, and the individual got angry because I wasn't using the original definition of the word woke, and rather I was using kind of a more common understanding of what woke actually what woke actually means, essentially. Um, and then, and then, of course, they they followed that up with a comment about the fact that I was white, and then they followed that up with a comment about the fact that um, I don't know anything. <laughs> so um, apparently, they didn't know that that woke has expanded its definition far beyond its original usage. And uh, you know, you guys on the left, obviously, you love to distort, distort and pervert language. So you should have, you should be aware of this kind of phenomenon that woke has gone far beyond its original kind of meaning. Anyway. All of that is a tactic to make you quiet. Why? Because the only cure for liars is truth tellers. And the world has done a pretty good job of marginalizing Christians and their voices so that we feel a little bit uncomfortable speaking up about these things. If this weren't so, I have a question for you. When was the last time you actually posted something controversial on your Facebook or on your Instagram and stood by those claims? Maybe to put a little finer point on it here, when was the last time you posted something about the evil of abortion? Now, I'm speaking to you, especially you soccer moms out there who don't want to alienate your your unbelieving friends. The reason I am encouraging this and the reason I'm bringing this up is just simply there is one reason why you won't speak about it. You may try to pretty it up with a bunch of different language, but the reason you won't speak about it is that the liars have won by and large. The liars have put enough social pressure on you that you don't think that your voice really truly matters at the end of the day. And you think the best way to issue forth the truth is to try to be as compassionate as you possibly can without ever telling the truth. And the and the truth of the truth is this, is that yes, be as compassionate as you possibly can, be as whimsical as you possibly can, but tell the truth. See, Kamala Harris is hoping, praying to whatever God she prays to, um, it probably looks more like a mirror, that you don't tell the truth. Because the only way for these kind of lies to work is for them to be told over and over and over again without resistance. This is yet another reason to think for yourself and to develop a worldview that can withstand seductive lies. Because the kind of seductive lies that are told in the present, you know, you're, you're racist if you think that. Well, nobody wants to be called a racist. You know, uh, if you think this, then you don't stand for marriage equality. Well, I don't, you know, do I stand for marriage inequality? No, I'm a Christian. I don't stand for marriage inequality. I don't, God is a God of justice. Well, social justice, you should be a social justice warrior, of course. Well, does that mean that then I have to stand for basically redistributive, you know, group programs that border on if not communism, at least equity programs that that really are just demoralizing to the people they're attempting to help and really thievery to the people that they're taking things from. I mean, all of this is just a simple reminder to us, especially for those of you, you Christians out there, you, you Christian stay-at-home moms, you Christian soccer moms out there who you know you can't protect your kids forever. You must get into the habit of telling the truth because... As the saying goes, a lie can travel around the world twice before the truth can even get its pants on. The only reason that is so is because we live in a secular society where secularism reigns. Because by and large, the people who know better are quiet. Now, the final point about 
everything that Kamala Harris did here is that this is yet another example where the demand for out for racism outstrips the supply. What white person, by the way, would have pretended to be black in slavery times or in the Reconstruction era or in Jim Crow? The fact that we even have white people in the present who are pretending to be black or the fact that we can have a mostly white summer of love, Black Lives Matter, you know, riot, burning, looting and all of that stuff is because we live in one of the least racist societies on the planet. All of this is nothing but an attempt, a tool to try to subvert power for wicked and corrupt people. And this is why we must speak the truth. This is why we must stand. This is why we have to raise our voice, especially for those of you who are Bible believers, because in the midst of your silence, people are trying to reinterpret scripture for you. And if you care about the truth, you'll speak up. So let's jump into our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. Now, Bill Maher has never been one that I would ever trust with a Bible. It's just one of those things. It would be like trusting Bill Maher with your baby. Not going to go well if you don't want your baby to get a contact high. Bill Maher is hardly the person you want to trust with Scripture. But here in a clip with Jordan Peterson on Bill Maher's podcast, I forget what it's called, Club Random, I think. Here, Jordan Peterson speaks to Bill Maher about the Bible in a way that is incredibly eye-opening because Bill Maher starts mocking the stories of Scripture until Jordan Peterson starts to lay out some of the teaching of what is in the story of Jonah. And in doing so, Bill Maher is actually, you know, mouth agape, interested in the fact that the Bible might actually have something to tell even a smug elitist like him. Now, I know that uh, Bill Maher has more and more come to the defense of common sense more than anything rather than conservatism, and that common sense has made him, you know, a source of, of some, some kind of normalcy in the midst of a left, radical left that's shifting so far radical left that it's left people like Bill Maher behind and seemingly made him a uh, sympathetic conservative overnight. Of course, that's not the truth. But even in the midst of Bill Maher being a, you know, a bastion of common sense in the midst of a crazy time, the one thing he still has not grappled with up till this present moment is religion, the importance of morality, and the role of Christianity in history in forming this nation and in forming Western civilization. But here, in this brilliant moment of Jordan Peterson patiently laying out a scriptural story for Bill Maher, the lights come on. Check it out. Well, I mean, the Bible is so well known, even by people who haven't read it. And by the way, a lot of the people who put their hand on it and love it so much have never read it. Certainly not all the way through. It's a big, long book. Yes, it, it is. It's, and it's, you know, full of most mostly nonsense. Once in a while, it stumbles upon wisdom. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, uh, but uh, come on, you, you got to give these people their due. They, I mean, it was written, as, first of all, it's an anthology. Correct? I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. Bible Tell me story? what you think about Bible story. This is this is Jordan Peterson's I love your Bible, Bible story. story. Okay, this is a Bible story. So I'm um, I've been looking at the story of Jonah. Yeah. And this is a story that you'll appreciate. So here's what happens to Jonah. He's just minding his own business, and then he the voice of God comes to him, and it's and the vo the voice says, "You have to go to this city, Nineveh, 
because everybody in Nineveh is like, they've strayed off the path and I'm thinking about wiping them out. But you could maybe go there and tell them like how foolish they are and they'll straighten up and then I won't have to destroy the city. And, jo and, and Jonah thinks, there's no goddamn way I'm going to do that. First of all, Nineveh is a city of his enemies. Babylonia. It's, 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 it's a city that he's, right. not, he's not allied with. And so he thinks, right. well, you guys can go to hell in a handbasket, and if God wipes you out, that's perfectly fine with me. Right. And sure. then he also thinks, like any wise man would, it's like, I see, this is the task you have for me. It's like, <laughs> there's 150,000 people there. I'm a foreigner. I'm going to go there and tell them how they're misbehaving, <laughs> and that's going to work out well for me. So he thinks to hell with that, like any sensible person would. And he doesn't say what he has to say. It's so interesting that you see the lessons in these. And I just always read these things as like super fucking stupid from mm -hmm. the Bronze Age, mm -hmm. you know. And obviously they were telling people something. I mean, whoever wrote this was had a, a message in mind. Interesting, right? We go from Bill Maher talking about how ridiculous these stories are to all of a sudden them, hey, you know, maybe actually telling a point. Yeah. It's what we've been telling you for years, Mar. See, Mar comes from a long line of pseudo-intellectuals who have waded into the deep waters of Christian faith and Christian thought without any real regard, any real reverence for the subject matter. I see this all the time, especially on the YouTubes and in the comment sections, on, on social media. There are people who believe themselves to be experts of Christianity, and whenever you bring up the Bible, they say, oh, that silly book that was made by a bunch of sheep herders? Like in that moment, you just revealed how incredibly little you know about the Bible. Because some of the people who, you know, were responsible for writing the Bible actually spoke multiple languages, unlike you who can barely speak the language that you were born into. And unlike you, they didn't, they didn't binge Netflix series and think that that made them some kind of intellectual. These guys actually studied new stuff and perhaps knew some things that you need to listen to. See, the long line of pseudo-intellectuals that Bill Maher comes from is people like Sam Harris and the, the, the New Atheist. And while some of these men are perpetually smart, truly, I mean, Richard Dawkins is an intelligent man. The one thing that they have consistently made the trouble of jumping into is talking about things that they have little regard for. And if you don't appreciate the subject you're talking about, you should probably just be quiet. A couple of Bible study classes or a uh, maybe even a couple semesters learning about the Bible at a university does not make you an expert on anything. So can we please just zip the lip when it comes to things that you don't know about. Simply because something happens to be a religious subject doesn't mean that it is uh, is less heady, less important, or have less gravitas, in, in other words. So, so it, Bill Maher, among others, have tried to grapple with Christianity and done so in such a sophomoric way. Coming from somebody who has actually studied it on a deep level, it's, it, it's very galling whenever I hear these guys, uh, especially, especially Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, too, talk about religion. And so Bill Maher, uh, to have this kind of moment, I hope you gain the appreciation that that I think I'm trying to with it, that, that Bill Maher actually taking it seriously for once is the real eureka moment here, because he has never taken it seriously. He's always blindly, mindlessly mocked Christianity without actually thinking about what it wants to tell us. So let's just be really clear about a couple of things here. Whenever I bring up Christianity, 
there are presuppositions associated with that. One of them happens to be that I believe that the Bible is a reliable document to tell us about the life of Jesus and a reliable document to tell us about humanity and the importance of ethics and values that are found in Scripture and the stories that are, that are present there. But don't think just because you're not a Christian that you don't also have presuppositions. It's clear that one of Mars' presuppositions got brought into the spotlight and punched to death right on, uh, I would say public television, but right on podcast television or whatever you'd say it, but right directly on that podcast, that uh, that presupposition of the foolishness and the uselessness of Christianity was destroyed. Now, listen, in part, I don't blame Bill Maher because the utilitarian nature of Christianity has been totally stripped away by, by uh, pastors in the present who want to say, hey, you don't have to behave, you know, you just have to believe. These, these kind of nonsense statements. Like Christianity definitely should impact the way that you behave and the way that you believe. It should, it should do both if it's real. Um, now, so, so the way Christians have presented Christianity to people in the present is part of the problem. I get it, but that's no excuse for not taking seriously the content of what is found in Scripture. You know, you should grab a Bible sometime, blow the dust off it. It'll help you a lot. Now, the next kind of Bible study element here is, of course, something that I think all Christians everywhere need to pay attention to, because what Peterson does here is textbook apologetics. He takes the skeptic, leads him slowly and patiently through a story, and then as he does so thoughtfully and mindfully with understanding what he's actually talking about. Now, of course, Peterson makes some some errors that I think about, like making it very man-centric and not theological-centric, which Peterson does a lot, but nonetheless, he's pulling out ideas and thoughts and taking the story seriously enough to just read it at face value and say, hey, there's value here, even if you don't take it to the deepest level possible, that's present in in the text if you just want to read it and gain something from it. If you don't want to just be a hater, you can gain great things from it. And as he slowly takes Mar through this, you see the scales falling slowly but surely off of Mar's eyes as he starts to recognize that there might be something to this whole Bible thing. And maybe it's got something to tell you. Now, it's interesting. I've seen this a million different times. Initial resistance followed by curiosity and then revelation. This is exactly what we just saw. It's beautiful. Textbook apologetics, it's something every Christian should experience in their life, and once you do, you'll become addicted to it. You need to start sharing your faith with others and start telling them the things you're reading in Scripture. It'll make a difference and hopefully make a dent in this secular world. And that's the final thing that I want to bring up here. And it's an important reminder. Peterson is not a Christian, but yet Peterson just did something I haven't seen any, you know, big league celebrity pastor ever do. I've never seen these guys speak to these kind of individuals, these these kind of high-level skeptics or high-profile skeptics, and tell them about Jesus in a profound and meaningful way that actually gets people thinking. It is a shame that we have to rely upon a person who is ostensibly agnostic, I would suppose. Um, certainly not somebody who is a professing Christian. If he had to identify as anything, he probably would say he's a Christian. But, but not, certainly not in the orthodox sense of, of, of Christianity and historic Christianity. And, and it's a shame that it takes a person like Peterson to actually do what Christians should be doing all along. Now, of course, I'm speaking kind of in broad terms here. 
But by and large, the vast majority of Christians have taken on attack. And this is the point of the whole show today. And their attack has been to win people silently. It's been this kind of euphemistic thing, and you've probably heard the saying before. Preach all the time, and if absolutely necessary, use words. Well, it is absolutely necessary to use words, as we heard from the story of Jonah. If you have something to say and you don't say it, what kind of impact will that have on the nation? Well, we're seeing it right in front of our face. Most Christians have taken on the very passive role of of just kind of living it before the people and just loving people into the kingdom while neglecting one of the most important things that you could possibly do, which is to tell the truth. Our world is in need of truth tellers. And if you remain silent while you have the truth, it is a lie. So if we're going to make a difference in this secular world, we need a bunch of truth tellers, even sometimes if it takes a truth yeller like Jordan Peterson. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Hopefully this show was helpful to you. If it was, I'd love to hear from you down in the comment section below. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.